All right, take your Bible and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Psalms. We're going to look at Psalm 5 this morning. Psalm 5. And uh, last night, I was late last night, I had my notebook open, and it had the title, the theme of the message from Psalm 5, and Dawn saw it, and I thought, I wonder what she's thinking, and I I said, listen, I am keenly aware, I am keenly aware of the responsibility that I have tomorrow morning. I'm keenly aware of that. I can honestly tell you, I, I, it does not matter what I think about anything. It does not matter what I think is important. When I think of the needs that we have as a congregation, I ask the Lord to determine what we do today. What we do any Sunday based on what he feels the needs are that we have. But there was nothing on that page. And I said, but I'm well aware of the responsibility. And I don't want you driving around all over town like that old commercial and the lady saying, where's the beef? You know what I mean when I say that, right? I don't want you doing that. So I, I really spend time with the Lord to see what he wants us to do. Psalm 5 says, Give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my meditation. Give heed to the voice of my cry. So my words, my meditation, my cry. So here is the psalmist going to the Lord. He wants the Lord to hear what he says. He wants the Lord to think about what he's thinking about. And he wants the Lord to give heed. I want you to hear and I want you to respond to my cry. We live in a world sometimes where we wonder whether God is responding to us. You know? And then he says, for king, and then he describes who he is praying to. He says, my king and my God, for to you I will pray. My voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning will I direct it to you, and I will look up. Now, I just want to focus just for a second before I give you two applications on those first three verses. I want to focus for a second on what he says when he says, my words and my meditation, I want you to think about it, Lord, and I want you to respond to them. My meditation, we read Psalm 1, which says that we are to meditate on the law of the Lord, we're to think about it, we're to think about it day and night. You see, something is gnawing at this psalmist mind, that would be David. Something is, no doubt, in his thoughts constantly. And if you will look at any marginal notes that you may have in the Bible, because those marginal notes can be very helpful because they really define what the term meant back in the day and age in which it was written. And if you see a marginal note there for the word meditation, it means groaning, My sighing, Lord, I'm crazy, my thoughts are crazy, my thoughts are disjointed, my thoughts are 
or, or I'm, I'm really concerned about something and I can't let it go and I keep thinking about it and I keep thinking about it and I keep thinking about it and I keep thinking about it. Now, if you have your Bible, turn with me to the New Testament book of Romans chapter 8. If you have it memorized, don't bother. You don't need to do it. I don't even have this one memorized, but I should for as often as I refer to it. But the older I get, the harder it is for me to keep those things in mind. Anybody having that problem? Okay. We have one confessor. <laughs> I just want to read these to you, and I want to emphasize the word groaning. The reason I'm using this as an illustration for you is because this helps us to understand what's going through David's mind. Verse 18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. I'm thinking about that. I understand there's a difference between life here now on this planet and what life is going to be like on this planet when Jesus returns. There's a big difference. There's going to be no comparison. For the earnest, and then he goes back to reality here. For the earnest expectation of the creation... The creation, the sun and the moon and the stars and the world and the, and the plants and the trees and the rivers and the lakes and the streams and, 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 and the animals in the forest and the animals on the farms. Now, we know all of this stuff doesn't talk audibly, but we have in, English, in the English language what we call personification, and they had it back then too. And personification is, if all of creation could talk, if the sun and the moon could talk, if the animals could talk, if the plants and the trees could talk and the rivers and the lake could talk, here's what they would say. They would say that we are eagerly waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. That's another way of saying we're we waiting for the second coming of Christ when he brings back the sons of God. And then in verse 20, it says, here's an explanation. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly. The son didn't decide that it wanted to be under the curse. The animals didn't decide that they wanted to be under the curse. All of creation didn't decide to be under the curse of God, a curse that brings us into this, this life of, of growth and decay and, and um, harmony, yet disharmony from time to time. But listen, it's because of him who subjected it in hope. You know, when you're down and out, you only have one place to look, and that's up. When you live in a world where there is harmony in nature, but at the same time so much disharmony because of the curse, and you feel that harmony maybe because of a plague or a pestilence or a famine or, or, uh, or a drought or whatever, the only place is to look up. And we look up. And creation is looking up. It's been, it's been subjected in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Just as God is going to liberate his children, guess what? He is going to liberate creation as well. 
But here's the point that I want to make in verse 22. For we know that the whole creation, everybody together, groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Now, Don has had several babies, and I'll tell you, some came quick, but some didn't. Some took a long time. I don't want to take you back to the days where you remember the groanings and the sighings. Paul, Paul introduces that as an illustration, though, but you understand. And those husbands I can understand, too, you know, sitting out there or being in there were just, oh, man, honey, I feel for you. But all of the groaning and the sighing, horrible. All of creation is groaning. The sun, the moon, the stars, the animals, the plants. All of creation is groaning together, waiting for God to lift the curse. Not only that, verse 23, not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves. And what are we groaning about? We're eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. You see, the biggest illustration that there's a curse out there is what happens to our bodies. And it wouldn't be nice if when people are born, we just grow and grow and get better and better and better. But then when you get to be a teenager, so they say, well, you're starting to go downhill now. Right? Oh, we're starting to go downhill now. See, we are waiting, too, for the redemption of our bodies. For we were saved in this hope. Just as creation has hope that God will lift the curse, we are saved in this hope that God is going to transform our bodies when Jesus comes back again. But I want to give you a third one here too, see. Verse 26 also says this, Likewise, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Isn't that nice to know? So the psalmist here, I just, just wanted to set the picture straight. When he comes to the Lord in prayer, it's not just Lord, thanks so much. Everything's great. Everything's gone well. Everything is wonderful. No, no, no. He has problems that he must deal with. And so if I were to give you, if I were to give you some application real quick, the first application I would say is, notice what he says. I will pray to you. You'll hear me in the morning. You'll hear me in the morning. It doesn't say how early up you need to get up in the morning, and it doesn't say when you should pray. But, but the whole point is this, that you and I should, if I give you an application, you and I should touch base with God early. Don't wait till the middle of the day. Don't wait till the evening and go back and look at all the stuff you had to deal with and say, you know what, I, I never talked to the Lord about this. I never consulted him at all. I never asked for his wisdom. I never asked for his guidance. And here is at the end of the day, I'm a miserable mess. Don't do it. Touch base with God early. There's a song in a hymn book. Ere you left your room this morning, did you think to pray? It's a great song. Ere you left your room this morning, did you think to pray? 
In the name of Christ our Savior, did you sue for loving favor as a shield today? We need the favor of the Lord as a shield for the day. Get it in the morning. Put it on in the morning. Oh, how praying rests the weary. Prayer will change the night today. So in sorrow and in gladness, don't forget to pray. And then he got three great illustrations. When you met with great temptation, when your heart was filled with anger, when sore trials came upon you, and uh, just to whet your appetite, look at that at your convenience. It's a great song. But you also need to remember who you're praying to. The psalmist almost said, almost in the middle of what he says about going to the Lord early in the morning to pray, says, you're my king and you're my God. You're not going to your best, you're not going to your best friend here on earth. You're not going across the street to your neighbor here on earth. You're not going to a relative. You're not going to someone that you know really well and talk things over with him. You are going to the king of the universe. And when, when he says, my king, that's what he's referring to. You, you know, you're my king and my God. You're in control of everything. Why wouldn't I go to you? You can do the impossible. You can handle every problem I have, every need I have. Why wouldn't I go to my king and my God? You remember Thomas, doubting Thomas, the second night when Jesus appeared to the disciples in the upper room. You'll remember that, uh, the, the, that Thomas wouldn't believe that Jesus had resurrected from the dead. He wasn't really totally convinced that Jesus was God. He had doubted. He knew the truth, but at the same time, it really hadn't sunk in. And finally, when Jesus meets the second Sunday night, uh, he says to Thomas, Thomas, look, look, put your, put your fingers into my hands. Look at me. And you'll remember Thomas just knelt down and he said, Lord, you are my Lord and my God. He cleared it up forever. You talk to him about it one of these days. You're going to get a chance to talk to him about it. He'll probably tell you how he struggled with that and maybe, uh, uh, but, but uh, He'll probably, he'll probably explain to you just all, the, all of the, the stress and the, and, the, and the craziness that was going through his mind at that time and, and how he finally realized that Jesus is the Lord and Jesus is my God. Now, verses 4, 5, and 6, real quick. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell with you. And then he gives four illustrations. He gives the illustration of the boastful. He gives the illustration of workers of iniquity, those who speak falsehood, bloodthirsty, and deceitful men. Now, I, I'm not even going to get into those. I'm not going to get into those. We could fill this, this hour with all kinds of illustrations just from the political scene alone. We wouldn't even have to go into our neighborhoods and we wouldn't have to talk about uh, people that we know of who we rub shoulders with every day. The boastful will not stand in your sight. You hate all workers of iniquity. You destroy those who speak falsehood. And you abhor the bloodthirsty and deceitful men. But I thought God is love. God is love. At the same time, He is just. He is love. 
But this describes God's relationship with the ungodly because he does not take pleasure in wickedness. He will not dwell with those who live wickedly. Now, please keep in mind, please keep in mind, and verse 7 should clear it up with you because he starts making a comparison now. You know, we need to know that God does not take pleasure in wickedness, and the whole point of this is don't assume that God's going to answer your prayer if you do. If you take pleasure in wickedness, if I take pleasure in wickedness, don't assume that God's going to answer my prayer. It follows what he says about going to the Lord in prayer. And it's confirmed all through Scripture. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Now, someone, I, I, I mentioned this one other, I mentioned this to somebody, I think. And we were talking about the wisdom of response to people. If I had a nickel for every person who said to me over the years, the Lord is not listening to me. He's not answering my prayers. And I know that they have pleasure in wickedness. You know, I have a responsibility to say, well, the Lord will not hear your prayer if you regard iniquity in your heart. I have that responsibility, don't I? I sure do. Well, God said he will answer my prayer. He will do what he said he will do, but he's not doing what he said he will do. Yes, he is doing what he said he will do. He said he will not, he will not answer your prayer if you regard iniquity. So he is doing what he says he will do. You see what I'm saying? We like to accuse God when we don't get our way and we don't get the things that we want. But in reality, you and I need to take a step back and understand some things about God. But listen, having said that, I want you to notice the contrast in verses 4, 5, and 6. He says, you know, God just cannot, cannot condone sin. He can't. His nature won't allow him. But that doesn't mean he isn't loving, because notice the difference between the people in verses 4, 5, and 6 and the psalmist himself. He starts with the word but, and but is always a contrast. We always say to people, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to make an apology to somebody, go up to him and say, listen, I'm sorry I did the wrong thing. I'm really sorry I did that. And then, and then if you're tempted to say, but, hold your tongue. Because at that point, the word but means now I'm going to contrast the sincerity of my apology with my just reason for acting the way I did. Right? That's what we do. <laughs> but he says, look what he says here. He says, but as for me... I will come into your house because I am really righteous and I know it. I'm not like they are. <laughs> no, he doesn't say that, does he? He says, but as for me, I will come into your house in the multitude of your mercies. Matthew the disciple invited lots of friends to his dinner. And he invited Jesus. And Jesus came. But the Pharisees were upset and said, Wait, 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 wait. If you're God, you cannot sit here and eat with them. 
But you see, the whole point of that is that even though God does not condone sin and cannot allow sin to coexist in his presence, that does not mean that he isn't loving and merciful and kind and generous and compassionate. And Jesus said, they need me. And so it's, it's important, you know, these, sometimes you have a little word. You look at the Old Testament sometimes, and sometimes we're so tempted to say, God's kind of harsh in the Old Testament. No, he's, he's the same God in the Old Testament as in the New Testament. As, as loving, as, 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 as just as he's in the Old Testament, he's as loving as just as he is. What does he say in, 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 in Exodus when he gives us those Ten Commandments? Man, he just, he gives us those Ten Commandments and we all look at that and say, oh my, I don't know, I can't live up to this. These seem to be harsh. He says, I visit the sins of the fathers unto the third and fourth generation. That's what he says. Sin has a tendency to replicate itself. Sin has a, sin has a tendency to show up in the next generation or the next generation or the next generation. But he says, I stop it. He says, I am merciful to thousands of generations. Don't compare my harshness with mercy. Because there's no comparison. I'm just, but I'm merciful. But as for me, I will come into your house in the multitude of your mercies. I fear you, and in fear, rather, I will worship towards your holy temple. And so, even though you and I should notice that there is a difference, there should be a difference between the believer and the unbeliever. Not like my dad who said, you know, there was one chaplain in the army when he was in the army. He said, hard, hard time warming up to this guy because he could curse and swear just like all the other guys. He could tell dirty jokes just like all the other guys. It didn't make any difference what the other guys were doing. He did it too. There's to be a difference. So you can see the difference here. As for me, I will come into your house in the multitude of your mercies. And Lord, I know I'm coming in your mercy. I've, often, I've said to many, many people, I said, boy, God is really blessing us in Fayette County. Really blessing us in Fayette County. If you look at all the statistics in Fayette County, the statistics haven't changed for, for a, couple of, a couple of months, several months, when it comes to those who have succumbed to the... Uh, the pandemic. Oh, I know. Well, you, the minute you say that, Gary, things will change. No, no. Listen, I'm telling you the way it's been and the way it is. God has really blessed us, but I always follow with this statement. Boy, I don't understand that because there's nothing special about us here in Fayette County, is there? We're no more special than anybody else, are we? Are we? And we're not the only county, but, the, but you see my point. The point is that we depend upon the mercy of God, not because we are self-righteous, but because God is righteous, and God has chosen to be gracious and merciful to us. And David, David had his own sins, you know that. That's why in Psalm 23 he had to say, Surely goodness will follow me all the days of my life. But Lord, it's not just goodness is going to follow me all the days of my life. Mercy has to follow me all the days of my life. Because man, I'm going to trip up and I'm going to fall. Right? 
How do you know that there is a noticeable difference between a believer and an unbeliever? How, how do you know that there's a difference? I love what he says in verse 8. Sometimes, sometimes we, we look at the things God doesn't want us to do and we say, oh, well, you know, there's those Ten Commandments. I don't, I don't steal and I don't kill and I don't cheat on my spouse and, and I don't, uh, I don't uh, bear false witness and I don't... Uh, and we say, yeah, yeah. I think in, in spirit... Uh, sometimes we take a look at that pastor, that, 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 those Ten Commandments, and Jesus reminded us in the New Testament, hey, be very careful. The Apostle Paul reminded us in the New Testament, be very, very careful. It's not just in what you do, it's in your thoughts, it's in your words. Can I honestly say I've never done this? I've never done that? Can I honestly say that? But sometimes we think that's it. Sometimes we think, if I don't do this stuff, I'm, 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 I'm just squeaky clean because I don't do this stuff, I'm okay. When God says, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait a minute. It's not just what you don't do, it's what you do do. You and I know are going to know the difference between an unbeliever and a believer, not so much by, because you and I live this. We, we, sometimes we know people and they, they look squeaky clean and we say, well, they must be believers because, boy, they, they seem to be doing okay, Right? Don't we do that a lot? But it's what we do. You want to know the biggest difference, the noticeable difference between you and an unbeliever? Look at what he says in verse 8. I'm not going to look at the negatives, he says. I'm not going to look at the stuff I don't do. Lord, this is what I do do. Verse 8. Lead me, Lord, in your righteousness. Make your path straight before my face. See? It's when you actively live for the Lord. Lord, lead me. Make your way straight before my face. You know what I mean? Now, I've been in West Virginia many, many times when I'm traveling from college home. And sometimes I'd have to end up in West Virginia in the middle of the night on some of those windy roads. We used to draw, you say, why didn't you take the interstate? Well, because we, we had students with us, and we, some of them lived in West Virginia, so we'd draw them off. And I remember some of those windy roads. If you've never explored West Virginia, do it. So those windy roads, sometimes you get on those windy roads, you don't know where you're going. You have no idea where you're going. And uh, you just hope you're going to end up at the right spot. You see, but that's a whole lot different than, you know, traveling on an interstate or going down through South Carolina when, you know, there's a back road in South Carolina that's straight as an arrow for like 50 miles. And you can see it through the pine forest as it kind of runs down through the pine forest and straight as a 50 miles, just, just straight for 50 miles. You know where point A is and you know where point B is going to be. And that's the point that he's making here. He says, I, I, I want you to make my way straight. I want to know exactly where I'm going. There's no question about that. And then he throws in here, and, and, and I'll wrap this up in just a, a minute or two. The rest of this is not hard. And then he throws in there that, I, you know, it's because of my enemies, Lord, that I have to be very proactive. Isn't that what he says in verse 8? Because of my men and enemies. And then he goes back to comparing. He goes back to comparing. He says, for there is no faithfulness in their mouth. You can't believe a word they say. 
In their inward parts is destruction. Their throat is an open tomb. They flatter with their tongue. And he says, pronounce them guilty, Lord. Let them fall by their own counsels. Cast them out into the multitude of their transgressions, for they've rebelled against you. There's a clear difference between me and those that we're defining here. I... um, I have a treasury study Bible over there that was written for, teen, for, written for kids. Actually, it's, 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 a, it's a great translation of the Bible. That hasn't changed, but, but, uh, but it was written for kids. The treasury study Bible from the, New, the Thompson Chain Reference Bible. And in the beginning, in, in the beginning it says, um, see, I want to give you the sense of what these verses mean. So, the whole point, I want you to hear the attitude, the attitude of the psalmist here. So under B is bad people. This is for kids. Bad people. Who are bad people? Bad people are people who love evil and do it. You and I, sometimes we just don't understand. We don't, since, you know, loving evil makes you miserable, makes you unhappy. It disappoints. It's a dead-end street. Right? And sometimes we just can't figure out why people love to do it. Why do people love evil? And, 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 the, and, and so he, what you do is in this Bible, you go, you go to the sections that deal with uh, people who love evil. For instance, you have Proverbs chapter 1, verse 16, where in the book of Proverbs chapter 1, where we start off by identifying God's wisdom. What does it say in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 16? It says this. It says, For their feet, my son, do not go along with them, for they set foot on my, for, for, do not set foot on their paths, for their feet rush into sin. They are swift to shed blood. They love to do it. They love to do it. And then it takes you over to chapter 4, verse 16. Chapter 4 is verse 16. And, it's, and, and you have another, another reference to bad people. And it says here, uh, for they cannot sleep till they do evil. They are robbed of slumber till they make someone fall. I say, yeah, okay. That's bad. Then they take you over to chapter 618. This is the last one I'll refer to, 618. And in 618, uh, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, and then takes you on into Isaiah and into the, the rest of the Bible. And then at the end of the book, it takes you to the treasure chest where, okay, now let's take a look and see what God has to say about all of that. It's a good book. It's really a good book. I don't know why I'm plugging it. It's out of print. Sorry about that. <laughs> but I don't know if it's out of print because of the coronavirus or not. Uh, Bible companies have been struggling as well. But anyway, having said that, having said that, let's quickly finish this up. Uh, by the way, flattery, I just, I just let me identify this with you. What is flattery? Flattery is insincere attempts to please others for selfish gains. A lot of that going on today, isn't there? Insincere attempts to please others for selfish gains. Hmm. Got to get into people's good graces, but you, your heart's not in it. You're doing it because it's going to help you, not necessarily them. Okay, just throwing it out there because it's in here. It's in here. They flatter with their tongue. Paul uses this, by the way. Let me just say this to you, and I'll close. Paul uses verse 9 in the New Testament when he 
describes the picture of the sinful person, talks about his head and his tongue and his, and, and his eyes and his ears and all, all, of, all of the all of the body. He uses this. He uses this very verse when he says their throat is an open tomb. Well, I'm, you know, I've got to... Anyway, having said that, I just, it just amazes me. We need to, here's, here's how it ends, verse 11 and 12. But let all those rejoice who put their trust in you. Let them ever shout for joy because you defend them. You protect them. You spread your covering of protection over them. Let those who love your name be joyful in you, for you, O Lord, will bless the righteous. And with favor you will surround him as with a shield." I kind of rushed through that, but you'll have a chance to, a chance to look at that and, and just meditate on that and think about that. Lord will, you, the Lord will bless the righteous. That's a fact. The Lord will, be, will show favor to those who love him, and he will shield them, and he will protect them. Those are facts. But it doesn't mean that you're going to be able to rejoice and shout for joy. You know, he prays. And then you, here's, here's your last thing. Expect God to respond to your honest, sincere prayer, right? If you pray in verses 1, 2, and 3, expect him to respond to your sincere prayer. And what's the psalmist asking for? He's asking for, 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 for an ability to rejoice because he's trusting God and to shout for joy and to be joyful. Well, I'm not joyful. I, I've asked the Lord, but I'm not joyful. You know, I've got all this stuff around me, and it's really bothering me to death, and I don't know what to do about it. Listen, you're praying that the Lord would hear you, and what you're praying for is that you can have some peace and some, some joy in the midst of all of this because you're trusting the Lord, and you know He defends you, and you know he knows He's going to bless you. I have one simple thing to say, only one other simple thing to say. Repeat steps one through four that I gave you, if necessary. <laughs> what else to say? I, I, I have a weed eater, but I'm, I'm old school. I get down and I pull weeds out with my hands. And the other day, I was pulling weeds out in my backyard last week, and my hands got so stained with grass that when I went in, and I, I, and I used Dawn. And I rubbed him. Should have gone down and used goop. But anyway, I washed him and I rinsed him, and they were still green. And I washed him and I rinsed him, still green. Washed him, rinsed him. Finally, the green is coming out. See, no green. <laughs> it worked. But I had to repeat the step. Listen, expect an answer from God. And if you don't get the answer, don't stop. Repeat the process. Right? Amen. All right. We are trying to make our worship services a little shorter for you. So we're going to close with that, but let's close in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to see how valuable your word is as a field guide to life in this world in which we live. And I ask in your precious name that you would help us to know, know the, or experience the results of knowing and trusting you. Thank you so much. There's so much blessing 
that you promised to your people. And we pray, Lord, that in our meditation, in our, in our scattered thoughts, in our, in our crazy thinking, in our sighing, and in our groaning, that, Father, we will do the right thing and connect with you early so that we're like a little baby bird that when the mom comes with a worm, all that baby bird can do is look up with the mouth open. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's close our service with into my heart, into my heart. I would not, uh, I cannot assume that all of us don't know the Lord here today, but you may know someone who isn't. Would you pray for them as we sing together this song? Would you pray for them as we sing together this song? Let's all stand together and pray that people will respond to the good news of the gospel. Let's pray. Sing. Into my heart, into my heart, come into my heart, Lord Jesus, come in today, come in to stay, come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Lord, thank you for, uh, for allowing us to be here today. And Lord, I pray that you would just be with us this week, keep us safe, keep us healthy. I pray, Lord, that you would keep us shining as a light in a dark world to those around us. And I ask that we may somehow be hope to those who don't yet see the spiritual need that's going to make a difference for all eternity. And I ask that your grace, your mercy, and your peace will rest and abide with us till we meet again. In your precious name we pray. Amen.